My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In today's episode, we talk with Ian Howells, longtime SEO and one of the partners at Traffic Think Tank, which is one of the best private SEO communities in the world. We discuss how he began building websites in high school as part of a class project, how that led him to building affiliate websites and making money online at a very early age. We discuss his foray into marketing and optimization in the adult and online poker industries, as well as how a federal law forced him to change his career arc, which eventually led to various agency and in-house roles. From there, we discuss the founding of Traffic Think Tank, what it's like to run one of the most well-known and reputable private SEO communities, as well as coordinating Traffic Think Tank Live. We also kick around the news that Bing says 2020 will be the year where keyword research becomes obsolete. Dun, dun, dun. While Google says it isn't, we talk about the rise of DuckDuckGo and deep dive into affiliate sites. So get your popcorn ready as we share Ian's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Page Two Podcast. I am your host, uh, Jacob Stoops, and I am here with Mr. Jeff Luella. Jeff, how's it going? It's going well. How's everyone doing out there? They can't answer you, Jeff. Ah, oh, I was trying this time. <laughs> no matter. Respond how on, respond on Twitter. How you're doing? Yes, please respond <laughs> on Twitter. And we are joined uh, by Mr. Ian Howells. Ian, how are you doing? Good man, Jacob, Jeff. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. We are yeah, very pleasure. very excited, and I don't want to bury the the lead. But if you don't know Ian, um, he is uh, the one of the partners at Traffic Think Tank, um, and we've already had one of his counterparts on. Uh, I think about ten months ago, Nick Eubanks, uh, who also um, founded Traffic Think Tank. They've got a lot of really awesome stuff going on there, which I'm sure that we'll get into. Uh, and then Ian, I believe you, you're also, uh, you also have a day job at, is it Landing Tree? So I did previously, uh, yeah. up until the end of August of 2019, uh, I was leading the, the SEO team at Landing Tree. Oh, there it uh, is. Yep. Now just affiliate stuff, consulting and traffic think tank are kind of the three legs of the, the stool. And I had that in my notes and I completely glossed over it. We do take notes here uh, before we interview people. And then I just get on and I just mess them, mess them all up. Or uh, in one case, I butchered somebody's, somebody's name uh, almost immediately. I I believe that was Jamie. Uh, I called her Alberico. It's Alberico. uh, And she definitely called me on that immediately, which was a little embarrassing. I mean, it's better to call better to call a name mispronunciation out early, right? It's rather than it happening over and over and over yeah, again exactly. through the whole thing. It's like that episode of Friends where Chandler gets called Toby at his workplace and he never corrects them, and then he's just Toby from there on for like six years. Anyways, um, so in today's episode, for those of you that have listened, you'll kind of know what's coming for any first-time listeners. Uh, let me just tell you kind of what we're going to do. The hallmark of this show uh, is kind of the origin stories of great SEOs. Um, SEO is not a very old 
industry and in our experience, nobody tends to get into, uh, especially if you've been in it for a while, into SEO on purpose. A lot of people come from other places and we're interested in figuring out uh, what are those other places and how, how, did, how did people get into SEO in the first place and what are their what are their backgrounds? Uh, and even more importantly, we like to talk about uh, successes, failures, what it's like to be an SEO day to day. It can be kind of a grind and we like to kind of get deep on uh, what people experience on a day to day basis. So that's kind of part one. Uh, part two, and this is something that we've added in season two, is we like to, um, we like to talk about what's, what's in the news, kind of current events in the SEO world, uh, which usually ends up with me just yelling about various SEO topics and, and ranting and complaining, but that's, that's okay. Um, <laughs> Jeff kind of runs, runs that section, and he kind of balances me out. He's kind of the even-keeled person, and I just go off Sometimes. On. I know, how, I know how to toss things up to you. To... Well, Jeff, I want to I wanna <laughs> hear just for one once me being maybe the even healed person and just being cool. And you just, I want to know what you want to rant about at some point. I want to see that. So, All right. I will give today, you some topics. Maybe today will be the day that Jeff will rant. Um, and then the third, uh, the third uh, leg of the stool in our, in our episodes is typically a deep dive. And today's deep dive is going to be on affiliate sites. Um, which we're excited to talk about. So if you're in the affiliate game or if you're not in the affiliate game and you're thinking about it, we're going to deep dive into that topic uh, at the, uh, towards the end of the episode. So Ian, let's jump into kind of the, the, the first phase. Um, who are you? How did you get into SEO? What, what's your story? Cool. Uh, so like you mentioned up top, uh, Ian Howells, co-founder and partner at Traffic Think Tank, which the short version of that is a 700 plus now person community. Uh, community portion happens in Slack. Uh, all of the educational kind of training material and resources are all within trafficthinktank.com. So think of like distilled you, except not five years out of date now. Uh, is the website portion. And then the community, I think, is really one of the, the big, strong assets for it because folks can ask questions, get feedback on campaign ideas that they're going to have, or if you just get stuck on something, it's a good way to just kind of stop smashing your head against the wall of a problem and get feedback from from other folks kind of in, in real time. But in terms of getting started in the, the industry, I built a website uh, when I was in high school. My cousin and I actually started um, what would be now called a blog, but then was not called a blog because at that point blogs were literally just like an online diary of like what your day was about. So at that point we hated the word blog, like rebelled against it completely because that sounded like stuff that like children would, would do. Right. And we were all of 15 at that point. So like we were obviously way, way too cool for that. So Today, it would be called a blog. Uh, started that in December of 99 uh, when I was, I think, a freshman in high school. Uh, so, you know, like all cool kids in high school, I was sitting around learning HTML. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was fun. Really good for your social life, being the, the kid that, you yeah. know, was figuring out how to build websites, but worked out long term. So yes. <laughs> that's all right. I was the kid with the Commodore 64, so that dates myself <laughs> a little bit more, but 
we would trade so, games on the bus. <laughs> so what's funny is like, I, I wish I went back that far. We didn't have a computer in the house until 98. My parents got a, a gateway mm. uh, and they, they splurged yeah. and went crazy and got like the six gig hard drive and the 64 megs of RAM. Like it was, nice. it was a dream at that point. <laughs> um, but I built this site with my cousin as a, a hobby really because other guys in high school. So I took art uh, in high school and there were juniors and seniors in my class because like art was just an elective. It wasn't part of a track or whatever. And these guys had built their own website and they were hilarious. And it was basically like online short skit type things written out. And I wanted to be a part of it, but I was this like dumb freshman. So I was like, well, screw it. Like we can just make, our own. So we built our own website and just run it as a hobby for like two years. And then I was in um, some webmaster forum. I can't re- can't remember which one it was, but one of the guys that were on there, this guy, Aaron, uh, he, he has since legally changed his name to Sunshine Megatron. Uh, he, he built t-shirthell.com and t-shirt hell had an affiliate program. And so he pinged a bunch of people from the forum and was like, hey, do you want to join my affiliate program? And I was like, I have no idea what that is, but maybe. So he gave me like the 90 second elevator pitch of what affiliate marketing was. And was basically like, just make an account. I'll give you a link, put the link on your website. If somebody clicks through that and buys a t-shirt, I'll give you five bucks for each shirt that they buy. And I was like, well, you can make money? on the internet? Like <laughs> I can, I can make money from my website. Tell me more. Uh, well, not only could you make money, you basically had a person with the name of a transformer. leading you. <laughs> not yet. He was still just Aaron at, at that point. Uh, he is a crazy person. Uh, I, I don't know if he's like in a bunker somewhere or if he is still accessible that you'd be able to <laughs> talk to him, but uh, interesting stuff life story, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but this was in 2001. So like for two years, just built a website as a hobby. And that was kind of it. And then 2001 f- was introduced to this whole affiliate thing. And I was like, okay, this will be great. So put some banners on the site. First month, sell like 30 t-shirts and make 150 bucks. And I was like, oh, damn, this is amazing. Because at this point, I'm 17, right? So the option is either work every Saturday for the like $5.25 an hour, I think that minimum wage was at that point, or just screw around on the internet and make the same amount of money each month. I was like, this is beautiful. And then the second month hits and we sell like three t-shirts. And then the third month hits and we don't sell any. And it was like, ah, Shit. <laughs> okay. So tur- turns out we had like the same hundred to 200 visitors to the website every single day. So by month three of promoting literally one thing, everyone saw it already. So like if they were going to buy one of those t-shirts, they already bought it and we were done. So then it was like, okay, well I need a lot of traffic and I need a lot of new traffic And if you ask any 17-year-old guy on the internet what gets a lot of traffic on the web, his answer is probably going to be the same. It was adult websites, we'll we'll say, to use the the clean name. Yeah, it's porn. Yeah, it's probably porn. (laughs) Porn. Wow. So then it was like, okay, so here's how dumb I was. 
I had a shared hosting account that was running me like 20 or 30 bucks a month at that point because hosting was still pricey. And I go to one adult site. They don't even, I, I think they still exist, but they're not really a thing anymore. They were called TGPs, thumbnail gallery posts, which was basically a big just text list. And every day there'd be like 50 or 100 new links. And it'd be like an eight word description and you would click through. And then all of the, most of the listings were like third party external people sites. And you would build a single page photo gallery with like 10 to 15 thumbnails and then two or three calls to action to try and push people to a pay site to get them to sign up is the, the short version of how it worked. Here's how idiotic I was. I went to one TGP. There were two big ones that I knew about through, you know, recreational internet usage, let's say. I went to the first big one that I knew about, clicked through to one of the galleries, downloaded all the photos, built my own gallery, and submitted it to the second big TGP site that I knew about. And instead of pushing an adult site with adult content, I tried to sell them offensive t-shirts from t-shirt hell. So total copyright infringement because I just stole, I had no right to use those images whatsoever, just downloaded them and threw them back up on a new page. And then took people that were looking for pictures of naked women and then said, hey, want to buy a t-shirt. So that went about as well as you would expect yeah. that to go. It's a logical jump, I guess. Yeah, right? Because I didn't even like, it had not even occurred to me yet that like affiliate programs existed for other things. I just knew about this one. So when you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I was like, well, okay, I'll just get a bunch of traffic to look at this banner and surely someone will buy a t-shirt. Yeah. Turns out no. Uh, and turns out a small shared hosting account cannot withstand like 70,000 visits in a 24 hour period, at least at that point. So my hosting crashes, the host wasn't a huge host. So I have the actual guy who owns the company emailing me basically saying like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, so that was great. Uh, a nice bandwidth overcharge that I then had to come up with. Uh, but that was my first kind of exposure to holy crap there's way more traffic than like i realized one could get to their wet like seventy thousand people in a day before the hosting crash so like it could have been over a hundred for all i knew uh and then you know kind of the head smacking like maybe i should try and sell somebody the thing that they are very clearly looking for not trying to divert them to another so it was a good lesson even though it was like a 200 dollars bandwidth bill that i had to, to yeah. come up and pay for which when you're 17 is not you know super super fun i i think the question that i want to so how long did you stay in the um in the porn game in terms of like working working on those types of sites until i met my now wife in 2005 Okay, so that's... So almost four years. Four years? Yep. So you're 17 at the time, and you ended yep. 21, 20, 22. The, mm -hmm. the only thing I can imagine is a, a lot of giggling. Uh, <laughs> and not only that... Wear, the novelty wears off pretty but, quick. I well, that's say. what I was going to ask. Yeah. One, what's it, what is it like having never like done work for a porn site? I know that there mm -hmm. are people that, that do that. Uh, and then especially being that young, how the hell did you explain that to your parents? 
<laughs> or did you? <laughs> uh, so they knew I was running websites because at the time I still had to literally like use my mom's credit card to buy domains because yeah. I'm seven to like, I didn't. So I, I would literally give her cash and then she would punch her credit card number into, I, uh, I can't remember. It might've been GoDaddy. I can't remember the first place I bought a domain, but they were like $30 a year at the time. Like when yeah. I first bought a domain, like now it's a joke. Like there, they, some TLDs are like a buck 99 or 99 yeah. cents. It's not ones you want, but still like at that point, 30 bucks a year for your domain plus 20 or 30 bucks a month for hosting, like kind of bar was, was a lot higher. Um, so they knew that like this was a, a thing and mostly about the hobby site that was, that I was running with my cousin uh, until checks started showing up at the house. And then it was like, well, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, about that. Um, so I think they were, thankfully they were super cool about it. They were, I, I guess a good point of context here. When I was 17, my parents were 35 and 36. They were 18 and 19 when they had me. Um, so they were, my age now, basically. So me having a 17 year old kid. Uh, so they still remembered, I guess the point is they still remembered kind of being a 17 or 18 year old because they were like 15 months away from accidentally getting pregnant with yours truly. So uh, of all the things that I could be getting into, I think was their um, perspective. Uh, this was like, not that big of a deal. Like, okay, if you turn a 17 year old kid loose with a cable internet connection, he's probably going to look at porn anyway. Like screw it. If he's going to make money off of it, like it's not illegal. Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So where did you go from there? So did the adult thing for a while. Uh, a big regret is that I did not push harder on that front. Right. Cause once I got to the point where I was making a few hundred dollars a month, I then just got super lazy, like being a kid still at that point, like I didn't have a concept of, hey, if you work really hard <laughs> and do yeah. a lot of effort into this, like this can become like a big full-time income level type situation. Like I just had no awareness of the fact that that was even possible, right? I'm like 18 months removed from, oh my God, you can make money on the internet. So the fact that like this could be the way somebody supports themselves full time just didn't even seem like a, a plausible thing. So I would work to the point where I was making like six or 800 bucks a month and then would just kind of let it coast. And then if red, like if money started falling off, I'd, I'd build a couple more pages or free sites at that time they were called and get it back to the point where it was up in that six, $800 range again. And then like repeat just over and over and over again, because you know, as long as I was buying video games and then in college, like beer money, like it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like a pressing thing to, you know, forego going out for the night to sit at home and, you know, peck away in Dreamweaver and, and make new, new pages. What, what, um, so what is the quote in, in the movie, The Social Network? I feel like um, it's Justin Timberlake's character that, that says something to the effect of, you know what's cool? You think, a, or something like, you think a million dollars is cool. Let me tell you what's really cool. A billion dollars. <laughs> a billion dollars. Maybe you needed that mindset. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, not, uh, did not have that, I guess, unfortunately. So 
Um, I kind of plugged away on that for, you know, a while until 2005 when uh, I met my now wife, uh, ended up selling the, the few sites that I had that were worth selling at that point. Um, the ones that had kind of their own traffic and wasn't just the hamster wheel of like submit a page, get listed, get traffic, three days later it's gone and you just kind of repeat. And moved from the adult industry into online poker. Uh, so, you know, again, just sticking with like vice marketing, I guess, and going with stuff that um, I knew from my own internet usage, <laughs> let's say, uh, and stuff that had uh, attractive payouts, right? Because the the attractive thing about the adult industry was a, a sign-up would be worth anywhere from $30 to $50 one-time CPA, and there was just an absurd abundance of traffic to be had, right? So like getting to the point where you're doing, like I said, that six, $800 a month uh, level was not hard. Like I did not know anything and was doing that as like a 17, 18, 19 year old kid. So went from that to online poker, um, only really pushed an online poker for like a year because in, I think it was October of 2006, the Safe Port Act passes and online gambling in the U.S. almost disappears overnight yeah. because all the major credit card processors lose the ability to, to run charges for these uh, gambling sites. So I had a good year um, primarily promoting PokerRoom.com. Um, the big draw there was it was now $100. Like if you got a real money verified deposit player, you'd get 100 bucks. Um, so started out really e simple and kind of scammy where like the weekly poker game that me and my friends did on Tuesday, I just got the other nine guys to sign up through my affiliate link. And then it was like, okay, sign up and then get on aim and let me know your name in poker room. And then we'll start a heads up match and I will just intentionally lose $50 to you and we'll call it even. So like you sign up for me, I get a hundred bucks. I'll purposely dump 50 bucks to you in game. Cause we can just talk on aim about like what cards we have and yeah. figure out how to, how to make this work. So like a, a, uh, in incentivized traffic, I guess, through real life. Uh, and then just started building out fairly simple sites through, uh, recounting, what I actually did was just recount games that I would actually play online and made like an online poker blog, basically um, just talking about playing online and then having pokerroom.com ads all the hell over the place. Yeah. Um, but only got to do that for like a year, which is unfortunate because hundred dollar payouts were really good. And in like 2005, 2004, five, six, like right after uh, Chris Moneymaker basically made online poker explode in popularity, um, there was kind of lots of, of traffic and referrals to go around, but then it all disappears overnight uh, because of a bill that the Senate passes. So I'm near the tail end of college at this point. I was on the five-year plan. Um, I majored in graphic design and I figured like, hey, I can just, like I'm already building websites for myself. Like maybe I could just get a job building websites for other people. So that's how I ended up picking graphic design as my, as my major. Again, it did not occur to me that like, oh, I could just work for myself or I could just build sites that, that earn money. And so I'm in what was supposed to be my um, 
last year of, of college turned out to be year year four of five uh and it just you know the bottom falls out like the, the all the sites i have are now completely worthless nobody will want to buy them because they can't monetize the traffic either um so that kind of reinforced for me that like yeah maybe this whole you know, trying to make money on the internet thing definitely is not a thing that you should do as your attempt at full-time income because stuff like this could happen where one day you just wake up and because of something that has nothing to do with you, all your money is just gone. (laughs) Um, So the following year in 2007, uh, I am getting ready to come to the end of college. And as a graphic design major, you have to do a senior show with like your art portfolio, right? So I need a printer locally to print all my stuff. And so I pull out the yellow book, like the, the physical yellow book. I don't know if you're, our younger it's listeners okay. here will, will remember right. what the hell it was, but there used to be these books that were like 300 pages and had phone numbers for everybody. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm flipping through the yellow pages looking for a printer and I come across a listing for Pepper Jam Internet Marketing in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And I'm 20 minutes north of Wilkes-Barre in Scranton, PA at this point. And I was like, what the hell? There's an internet marketing company in Wilkes-Barre? So then that leads me to their website. It was hilariously bad. at that. It's a super uh, like 90s looking website. If you go through the internet archive and look at what pepperjam.com, I think it was <laughs> pepperjamsearch.com at that point, uh, looked like in like 2007. But I end up emailing the VP of search, Ken Moan, with just like, hey, I mean, Howells, here's some stuff that I've done and just talk about like selling subscriptions to porn sites and poker online, not even thinking for a minute that like, hey, maybe this is kind of weird and like that's not the way to get a response from like an actual company doing internet marketing. Um, turns out though it was a great idea because he later told me like that was the reason that he answered the cold email was like oh somebody has built affiliate websites before and like gotten traffic through search and and monetized it Um, so had I not mentioned it and was just like oh I'm a local college student at Marywood I was wondering if there were internships or whatever he probably would have completely ignored me Um, but that got me phone interview in-person interview then internship my last semester of college uh, and then college graduation was a Sunday. That Monday, I started at Pepper Jam full-time. Six months later, uh, I was running the SEO team at Pepper Jam. In fairness, it didn't even really exist when I got there. It was basically Ken, the VP, and one writer. So he looked at it. I was like, okay, great. Here's somebody that knows SEO. Like, let me just dump this chunk of work off onto him, and, and he can run with it. Uh, short version, three years later, Pepper Jam sells to GSI Commerce down in Philadelphia. That's where I meet Mr. Luella, and he yes. becomes my, my boss for like the nine minutes that he stuck around. <laughs> no, that was interesting times. Um, I mean, Pepper Jam, one, I mean, we bought, when I was at GSI, we bought Pepper Jam for its affiliate network. Yep. Um, and, and then it was interesting. And then like learning when we peeled back some of the, the skins on the onion, <laughs> see what was behind there. There it was some fun things that we found, but oh, it yeah, was the, garbage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We I think they had like uh, once they got in there, like crap. Look what we bought, but it's still around today, and and it seems like it's it's gotten better. But um, I remember just getting I come into the office, and and my boss at the time was just like, 
hey, we bought a company and they have an SEO team. Just drive up there and meet them <laughs> and see, see uh, who you want to, you know, who you like up there and things like that. So uh, me and Bill Seabald drove up there. I, I don't know if you remember that day, but it was kind of, it was fun. I think it was I met you, Eric and Todd. Yep. Uh, I think that was really three. There might've been someone else or two, but um, no, it was, it was an interesting time. And, and right there, like I, I think we all got kind of got along really well. And, um, and after that, you kind of taught me some things about affiliates. And I think we used some, uh, or at least uh, I used, I'll say <laughs> some auto blogging tools that uh, got me a little bit of money that I learned. I was, cause I always wanted to learn the kind of the, the darker side of SEO. And at that time I was, I was still somewhat newer. I was a developer who moved into SEO when I was at Razorfish. And then right. My second job was at GSI and um, you will learn that uh, GSI's network. You couldn't do much on. <laughs> um, and every time I would go to a client and say, you have to fix this, this, and this. And they're like, but we can't cause our platform's bad. Um, <laughs> and by the way, our platform's you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Slightly awkward. A little weird. <laughs> exactly. So that, that was always an issue there, but we, um, but yeah, when I got to, to meet you at that point, it was, it was awesome. And then I just, you know, was hitting my head against the wall a bunch of times there and, um, you know, had some falling outs between me and some of the, I'll say I was in a weird position because I wasn't leadership, but I reported all to the, like the major leadership there. But then with the people at my, like I was the only one who wasn't like a, a VP or director level with all, in all the VP meetings. And then when I would go back to everyone who was like the same level as me, they wouldn't want to talk to me because they thought I was a snitch. I was like, I'm not a snitch. <laughs> it's the plant, the leadership yeah. plant. It, it, <laughs> I was, I was called out that one time in a meeting. They said like when I was in there, like they thought I was the leadership, like a snitch on the leadership. And I'm like, I'm the opposite of that. Like I'll tell you everything they're doing. <laughs> but, so uh, awkward. It, it was, it was no, awkward. No, guys, don't get me wrong. I'm a terrible employee. I'm not helping them. I promise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and those meetings were just all insane anyway. But so I went, uh, go through things. And eventually I just told Bill, I was like, oh, I have to leave. <laughs> and at that point they decided that they were going to make me part of the leadership. I'm like, well, no, that's not, yeah, I'm already made my decision. But the fun part was I had the, the person who was in charge of the platform come to me because I always complained to him about how bad the platform was. So like they were coming out with like platform 11 or something. And he, they tried to get me to stay and become part of the platform team to make the platform more SEO friendly. Um, because that was always my plan was like, we make the platform better. Every client we have on it is better. Why are we trying to sell our clients SEO when we can fix our platform and we got a percentage of all sales, we could have made it better. Um, then I heard like that platform did not really do very well. <laughs> um, and then eBay bought everybody and then it became yep. like, then it was like an interesting, I saw how they merged everything and packaged it like fanatics.com came out from that. And then, oh man, Michael Rubin is like, just a goddamn gene. I don't know how the hell he talked eBay into letting him keep fanatics and the yeah. official league stores out of that deal and still walked away with two, two or two, four billion. Yeah. Amazing. And, and I see, I'm a big Sixers fan and I see him sitting on the sidelines next to like Allen Iverson and Meek Mills. And I'm just like, not bad. I, I, not a bad job because I mean I, I've got I had a couple meetings with him where I got the pitch and he was he's a smart dude he was very energetic you know and, and I was great but it was an interesting time where it's like once he sold I'm like man he started selling sneakers out of the back of his mom's car he's kind of like a Amazon story in a way he, not, not as big right he's not trillionaire but at the same time 
he's all right. I think yeah, he's doing he, okay. <laughs> 2.4 billion's not too bad, either, you know, and then become a minority owner of the Sixers and running around. I mean, Fanatics, it's still crushing. Yeah. Like, just yeah. that alone. Even if he had nothing else in the past, just that alone, like, he's, yeah. he's good. Yeah, didn't he, like, buy Rulala or all, some of those other flash sale sites? Yeah, Rulala was rolled in. Um, Mostly for the the email, we bought we being GSI while I was there. Um, clear sailing, so order yep. attribution company out of Ohio, I think. In yeah, like I was, 2011 I, or something. I was the person to introduce them all because I was uh, I was friends with some people over at Clear Sailing, and they asked me to introduce them to to the analytics team. I, I was hoping I got a kick, but that <laughs> I left before that even like fully materialized, but. But no, that was, I guess, just to complete kind of the, the career arc overview here. Um, GSI, Jeff left very shortly after I got there. Bill Sebald was running the team. Start of 2011, Bill Sebald decides he's had enough and he gets out of there. So then the hot potato goes to me, uh, run the SEO team inside there. Jeff and I were talking before uh, we started recording here. It had like 19 names because they kept hiring new creative directors and day one, every creative director wanted to rebrand the agency. Uh, Eventually eBay buys the thing. Uh, I lose interest pretty rapidly after we become part of eBay. Like HR turned into literally here's a phone number for a call center in Utah. call them if you need anything, right? Like when you have that many employees, like, yeah, you're not going to have big HR teams in each office. It would be crazy. So it makes sense, but wasn't, uh, wasn't for me. End of 2012, end up going, moving down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I still am to work at Red Ventures, uh, ran one of the, the SEO teams in there until 2016, uh, left RV in 2016 to head up the SEO team at LendingTree uh, and did that from 16 until uh, August of 2019, like I like I mentioned briefly before. And now, uh, in the meantime, affiliate stuff, consulting, launched Traffic Think Tank two years and a couple months ago now. Um, so always had kind of stuff going on outside of the main full-time job, but that's kind of the the rough shape of the full-time work was small agency with pepper jam get bought by a bigger agency in the form of GSI, eBay, nine other different names, uh, in-house to red ventures, which was a really interesting blend of in-house and agency because at that point RV didn't really own their own website properties. It was licensed. Like it would be branded domains for direct TV or ADT. Um, so, it was in partnership with large companies. So we were kind of an affiliate, but kind of in-house because all the dev and tech and everything happened uh, internally. Uh, And then in-house at back to a public company uh, in-house at at lending tree uh, and kind of getting reacquainted with the pros and cons of being at a large public co with, you know, the pros being most things comp related and the cons being the general speed at which things can get done. (laughs) Or lack thereof. <laughs> so let's talk about Traffic Think Tank. Um, you guys are, are two plus years into that now. What led to that? Like what's behind the idea? What's it like today in terms of running that? Yeah, I, I think what led to it really, uh, Eubanks. Um, so Nick did Traffic Think Tank V1, I guess you would call it, um, on his own. So it was... 
similar and very different at the same time. So he limited to, I think, 12 people, um, but higher price point. It was 500 bucks a month, but you had to sign up for the year. So basically he got 12 people to sign on for six grand. And then it was a Facebook group at that point. So like a 13 person Facebook group. So these 12 people and Nick. So a lot more kind of deeper one-on-one individual consultation because there's only 12 people, right? Like that's a a decently manageable um, number to kind of go more in depth with, with every single person. And part of what he did was each month he would do one like guest webinar on Zoom, right? Basically just people he knew from the industry through his own network would just ask like, hey, would you, would you be cool with coming on and, and doing a webinar for these folks? Uh, he bought me some really good wine uh, in exchange for doing it, which I didn't know what was going to happen when I said <laughs> yes, but like was a very nice perk uh, afterward. So uh, I had done a webinar for him. And then he was starting to kind of come to the end of the 12 months. I think it was in like month nine or something. And I had just made like a very offhanded like, hey, if you're going to do TTT again, like let me know if, you know, there's a a way for me to get involved or or whatever, like something benign and, and kind of off the cuff. I had known Nick at that point. Nick and I had met in two, late 2010 or early 2011 through the Philadelphia SEO meetup, uh, SEO Grail, which was phenomenal. And like yes. just an absurd roster of people. So we can, we can go into that in, in a minute too. Um, so I had known Nick for several years at this point. So just kind of threw that offer out there. Like, hey, if you're looking to do more with this thing, let me know. Uh, and he had gotten back and was like, actually, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, I think the model makes sense if it scales up. Like, I think we could scale up membership and bring down the price so it's not like you, you got to sign up for six grand for a year right off the bat uh, and kind of reach more people. Because at that point, you know, and I'm talking about it like it's history, it's two years and four months ago or whatever. Um, you think about, SEO book and that community kind of getting shuttered because Aaron had decided that he was going to kind of step back from doing that. So that left kind of a void where, okay, there was a paid SEO forum that ran, I think it was 99 bucks a month. So like not a insubstantial price point and like a good gate to, to make sure that everybody in there was serious. So that had kind of left a void. And then the Moz community at that point was in a, let's call it bit of turmoil, right? Eventually like they end up having to do layoffs and all that stuff. That's part of Moz's history now that we, we don't have to go into, but there was generally a, a lack of, I think outside of Twitter, but Twitter is very noisy and chaotic. <laughs> there wasn't a great like single point of, of community, at least that I was aware of. Um, so that felt like, to Nick, that felt like a, a, a big opportunity. And I was less certain. Uh, Matt, Matthew Howes Barbie, uh, same kind of general opinion. He did a big LinkedIn post about kind of the, the formation of Traffic Think Tank, where he says much the same thing that like he wasn't as confident as Nick was. Uh, you had Nick on uh, already. I think one of the things that became probably very clear within the first few minutes of talking to him is that uh, super high energy. Uh, will make decisions quickly. And then once he decides he's going to do a thing, like he's 
he's going to do the damn thing. Uh, so he was kind of more bullish on it. I was like, maybe we'll get a hundred members. Like we could probably get a hundred people that are serious enough that they'll pay 99 bucks a month to, to join the thing. Uh, and I guess sh- short story long, it went over a lot better than I initially thought. And it wasn't until like month three where it was like, Oh shit, like this could be like, this could be a real thing. Like there is more appetite for this than I thought. I think what I discounted incorrectly in the beginning was the amount of people that are individual affiliates and are just kind of like sitting in a home office by themselves all day, grinding away, doing their thing. And people that are like the one online marketing person at their company, right? Like digital is this one person and nobody else in the company knows what the hell they do. They don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of. Cause again, nobody knows what the hell they're doing all day. And I think I, I just had a general lack of awareness of how, many people find themselves in that situation. And I feel like that's a, a need that we ended up filling um, hopefully very well. So one thing that, it, that occurred to me, especially when you mentioned initially now, obviously it's much lower now, um, is that initial $6,000 price point. And I guess for, for me thinking about like, if I'm running that probably Nick being a a more confident person than I would be like, Nope, I got this is that's a lot of money to to ask for people. And it's like, how do you bring enough value to justify somebody paying you that much money with, with what you guys are are doing? That would feel like a lot of pressure, uh, pressure to me. And I just wonder how do you guys kind of manage that on ongoing in terms of making sure that the value is, is there for the, for the members. So in the the first iteration, and again, this was a hundred percent Nick. So I'm, I'm semi speculating here, but I'm fairly confident how he basically positioned it was like, almost like you're pre-buying consulting time with him, right? So like it was the original 12 members, if I'm remembering correctly, were all uh, people that owned their own e-com business or lead gen business, right? Like it wasn't affiliates. It wasn't the one full-time marketing person at a company. It was the owner of a very small digital company that basically viewed this as, I am purchasing $6,000 worth of strategy consulting from this person who knows what they're doing. I have a junior person or I can do it. My, like I have execution figured out. What I need is guidance to make sure that I'm not shooting myself in the foot and that I'm doing smart things. I think was basically the, the rough uh, outline of, of positioning there, which in that light, it makes sense, right? Because okay. if, you, if you think about an hourly SEO consulting rate, 500 bucks a month is a joke, right? So I think with, with that angle, it, it made sense. And then for him, I think attractive 12 people, same 12 people, you get to go pretty deep with everybody so you can kind of have more meaningful connections and, and results. Uh, but now for us, I think the the responsibility part is interesting. I think as the community has gotten bigger, we've gotten less and less reliant on me, Nick and Matt, right? Because like first 50 members, like me, Nick and Matt, one of us had to answer every single question that came in in Slack. And I think as the community has grown, 
it's now gotten to a point where by the time I see a question come in, there'll be three or four answers in a thread already from other people who all know, you know, what they're, what they're talking about. Every once in a while, there'll be like an idea thrown out or whatever that will come in and be like, yeah, maybe, maybe don't do that exactly. But like core kernel of the idea is good. Like I would do X, Y, Z. Um, so I think the, the kind of self reinforcing aspect of the community has been super exciting to watch kind of take, take shape and continue to grow. Um, but it is, I think it is a responsibility on us to make sure that we continue to produce, you know, stuff that's timely and, and useful in a variety of situations. I think that's probably the hard part is trying to make sure that you're creating guidance and, and resources that is, uh, that are applicable to people in a variety of roles because we have members in, I think, 21 of the 24 time zones working on every industry you, you could imagine, right? So you, you have to try and make sure that you're really hitting the, the core of a concept or idea to make sure that it's actually useful for the community at large. Uh, and then the other piece is just ensuring that we continue to tap um, other experts in the, the community come on and talk about the stuff that, that they're good at, right? So like having Hamlet come on and do a Python webinar was like extremely yeah. useful for a bunch of folks. So we try and make sure that, you know, we, we keep a finger on the pulse of what, what sort of stuff does the community want and then go out and see, okay, if that's not like, I can't write Python to save my goddamn life. So when it's something that like we can't do, go find somebody who can and, and bring them on. So last question I want to ask, and it's, it's not as much of a question as more of like, what's it like? And before we move on to, to the news, um, you guys are, I think it's your second event, Traffic Think Tank Live, which by the way, uh, it is on uh, May 16th. It is not in Philadelphia. It's in Miami um, for, and I'm going to give you a quick promo for uh, uh, non-members. It's $349 for members, Traffic Think Tank members. It's $149 for a ticket. So go buy, 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 attend, attend, attend. Um, but I want to know, and I asked Nick the same question, what's it like to put on an event? Oh, it was dumb. It, it was like, <laughs> it was so much more like, when you talk, like I've said a few times, like my general lack of awareness, like I think all three of us were inflicted with that on this one. It was like, oh, how much work can it be? It's a one day conference. Like what could possibly be involved in this? Turns out there was a dumb amount of work involved in running a conference. We did the first one by ourselves mistake i i don't know it was good that we did it because we realized very quickly like how much is actually involved and how like you should just hire a professional <laughs> if you're gonna throw an event like just hire an event planner um so we had it was hectic uh so like literally 10 minutes before registration started the morning of the conference we were still working with the AV guy from the Hilton to try and get us to the point where slides would project onto the screen. Like everything was just going wrong. Like anything that could go wrong went wrong. Like it was a good kind of intro, you know, kick in the face for, <laughs> for running an event. Um, but now, you know, thankfully it still went over fine. The presenters all, you know, stepped up and, and delivered and talks were really good. Getting, I think the, the really great thing was getting all of these people that 
are used to interacting in Slack together in person was awesome, right? Because now all of a sudden you have all these conversations happening where then light bulbs are going off like, oh, you're blah, blah, blah. Like I, I recognize your, you know, avatar and whatever. Like you have all these folks who were talking online now getting to meet in person. So that was, that was awesome. Uh, and then this year, 2020's version, um, we hired an event planning company. Uh, they had done one of the earlier MozCons, so not only used to event planning, but also for our particular industry. And that is worth every single penny that, that a good event planner will charge you because there's so much stuff that we just had no idea about that she is just freezing through and it makes life a million times easier. And I feel like it probably gives you guys more of an opportunity to focus on the, the content and the, and the speakers and the, and the quality and not worry yep. about the minutia. Yeah. That's basically our only job this time around, which is great that we don't have to get on the phone and talk about like Wi-Fi connectivity in the room yeah. and chair covers and nonsense like that. It sounds awful. It's like uh, when you get married, you have to think about things like paying to have people cut your cake for you or just <laughs> God. That's why I you with a wedding planner. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, right. Same, same idea, yep. No, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny thinking of the same way. Um, so I used to run a, a homebrew club and we started off and it was kind of out of just wanting to meet people in the industry. Next thing I know, we have like 300 members and like I'm just – I it got overwhelming for me to an extent, especially since I at that time recently had twins, <laughs> um, which, you know, adds a little, you know, cramp to going like, Hey, I'm going out drinking for the night with a bunch of guys. with my kids. But, uh, but it was like everything there just setting up. And that was just like one night a month. And like, I, but I always did it kind of like this podcast, right? We, we always wanted to have a good guest. So I was always trying to get like head brewers for all the local breweries in, in Philadelphia at that time, which there were a bunch and we would come in, we would talk about brewing, have them like how they kind of like this podcast, how they got into it because as a home brewer, like a lot of people have dreams to open up their own brewery one day and real brewers would talk you out of it. <laughs> they're like, Hey, do you want to be uh do you, do you want to actually be a janitor? Because that's 99% what you are when you are a brewer because brewing beer is 5% of actually owning a brewery. So, um, but it was interesting that way. And, and, and then like, I always wanted being part of SEO grail. Um, like I kind of now being in Atlanta, like we really don't have that close connection and I'd love to be able to like build one down here. And I just know the amount of work it's going to take. And, and, you know, yeah. I couldn't even imagine trying to actually have, like 5,000 people come in for a conference and how much work that actually takes. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. Like the, the finding good speakers and getting people to come and talk and like the logistics of that actually isn't hard. The, the hardest part is when you get down to like, we can have five, who are the five people that we think are, are going to get on stage and like deliver right. something new that hasn't been rehashed at 50 other conferences already. Right. Yeah, so that's, awesome, yeah. uh, that's the, like the hard part on the, the speaker side. Right. I think thankfully we're in a community where like generally people are looking to, to share and, and talk about the, the stuff that they, we, you know, have learned over the years. Uh, I think, you know, Nick, Matt and I fortunate that we're connected to 
folks like John Cooper who generally don't do the conference speaking thing. Like he's not out there at SMX and SES every season, you know, given it his same presentation over and over again. Um, but when we hit him up and we're like, Hey, we're bringing a conference basically to your backyard. You're like two hours away. Do you want to come speak? Like he'll say yes and, and come do it. So I think we're, we're fortunate in, in that respect too. Um, it's really just all the, the minutia of like the actual logistical event planning portion of it. That's the hard part. And like I said, hiring a, a pro to take that weight off of our shoulders is amazing this year. Yeah, that's awesome. So Jeff, what's in the news? Cool. So this wasn't really any major, I'm going to say news this week, but there was a bunch of little things. Um, a lot of times, you know, news today is like when John Mueller says something. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of that because of his, um, his little uh, town hall things that he runs there where he, so one of the big things, was you know search engines get like, as search engines get better at intent, um, he basically said like keyword research is not going to go away. Which um, you know I look at it all as as much as Google comes out with BERT and all these different machine learnings, it is really based off the data that you're giving it, and that data is content. Um, and and you know knowing what search engines you know what people are typing is still always going to be important. Um, and Ian, I know like having different affiliate sites out there, like, and being very niche, like doing that keyword research or doing that, like research in general, not necessarily keyword mm-hmm. in an industry is ultra important to be able to, like, if you're going to start a site on something where no one is searching, yeah. there's no, nothing about it. Like what, what's the point of doing that? Right. Yeah. So, so research is super important. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that it's probably not much to go deeper into that one, well, but it seems. Let me this is where I yell, yell about things. So, yeah. so if you're looking at, and this is an article on search engine Roundtable this week from, what is it? The 10th it's from yesterday. Yeah. Um, and this, so John's response didn't just come out of the blue, right? Um, it came in response because it's beginning of 2020. So everybody's making their big 2020 predictions. Yep. Um, debut. I, I doubt I'm pronouncing his name wrong and I'm, and I'm going to go on record as saying that uh, this guy is probably way smarter than me. So maybe I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about, but he is, he is the person in charge of Bing's overall core search team. And he is, has essentially predict, pre- predicted that this is the year that keyword research becomes ob- obsolete, which uh, like, it's coming. And it's just funny. The, the difference uh, between what people at Bing are saying and what people are, at Google are saying. And I, I agree with Jeff and I will say there, I, I wish there would be more times where we have disagreements, but we seem to be of like, <laughs> I don't understand how researching and understanding if the data is available, what people are searching for, when that becomes obsolete, like in what way, just because search engines are better at surfacing yeah. up and matching content to the particular queries, like, well, why the hell wouldn't we want to know what people are searching for? Like that's, data like why wouldn't we want that data why would we stop looking for that data all of a sudden just because search engines are good at matching it just doesn't make any freaking sense and it makes me wonder where the where the hell is their head at on the bing side that they're like coming out and saying stupid stuff like this so i don't know well i mean smart smart decisions on search from bing would be a whole new frontier for us right so uh, you know (laughs) 
bad takes coming from the big team is not something that strikes me as incredibly surprising here. Right. <laughs> Enjoy your 3% market share and continue with your hot takes, I guess. Yeah. No, and it is funny because there's another news article out there about Bing loses out to DuckDuckGo in, <laughs> in Google's new kind of Android. Um, they came out with like a search ballot and asked countries in Europe because they've, um, they got sued, you know, they, cause they promote Google on Android devices you know, makes sense that they would do that. But, um, you know, it also makes sense that that's kind of, you know, playing a little bit of monopoly. So they, they put out a ballot to people in different countries through the EU of what search engines they want listed at, like that you can change to besides Google. So the idea is like, you know, Google's probably going to be the default, but if you want to change it, what ones get listed on there? And for most of Europe, um, DuckDuckGo is num- well, actually DuckDuckGo is number two in every EU country, um, and Bing is only in I guess certain amount. Um, Info.com and Quaint and Privacy Wall are all before Bing. So the only one that Bing kind of beat out DuckDuckGo or any of the other ones was in the United Kingdom. And um, we know everything with Brexit. No, I'm just kidding. They, uh, it's one of those things where it's like every other country, you know, Italy, Lithuania, Iceland, Greece, everyone picked up DuckDuckGo in there. Um, not saying there's this is a writing on the wall for Bing or anything like that, because Bing is, is you know, it's funny because we compare them to Google, which is like 90% of everything. Um, while Bing is, like in the rest of the world, is, is still a, a leader to, to some of that. But it is an interesting um, approach that's going on these days. And, and DuckDuckGo is really pushing privacy, which I think is, is interesting. I tried to stop using Google and use DuckDuckGo for a couple months. And then when I switched back to Google, I was like, oh, all these things I complain about as an SEO, like as a user are actually really good. <laughs> it's like, even though it pushes my 10 blue links down to the bottom, like I miss that and DuckDuckGo does not have that. So, I, I will say I, I like what DuckDuckGo's trying to do. I like their style. But when a duck duck go shirt on, yeah, right. Oh, you do have a duck duck go shirt on. I don't know where you would purchase such a thing. Maybe on an affiliate site. On duck duck go. On, but um, I think the big advantage that Bing still has is their inroads into other markets, similar to Google. Like Google builds phones. Google now builds computers. Google Mm -hmm. does all kinds of shit. Well, guess what? So does Microsoft. They have a massive browser with a lot of people still using it. They do computers. They do all kinds of stuff. And guess what? They're going to make you use Bing on all of those things. It's actually surprising given the the amount of um, users that they have that Bing isn't representing representing more of a marketing share. But that's, I think, only because Google has basically become so so big that they're almost a verb now. I don't search something. I Google it. I don't duck, duck, go it. I don't Bing it. I Google it. So yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if, if duck, duck, go can ever overcome, you know, the advantages that those other two big players have with respect yeah. to the business, but I do like their style and I like their tenacity. And, and I don't think their goal is to be bigger than Google, right? Because I'm guessing they're, I feel they're pulling stuff in from Google. I don't know exactly how they get their results. They're like the anti-Google. Yes. And there's going to always be a group of people who will enjoy that. Right. So um, as Google gets bigger and, you know, eviler (laughs) um, and like basically the the benefits of them sharing all my data between all the tools is convenient to some things, but some people don't want all that data shared. So DuckDuckGo would be great for that. 
Um, can we, who is Sundar Pichai? Is he basically Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movies? Is that, is that who he is now? Is that the CEO of Google? I think Google's missions is don't be evil, but I I feel like increasingly they're becoming, they're becoming a little bit more evil. It's just like Facebook. And I just wonder is maybe Dr. Evil running both of those. (laughs) You know, I I feel Google, it's when you have so much data, right? It's like, there are certain, like they have more data than anyone probably in the whole world right now. And it's, just being able to make things more convenient kind of seems evil. I remember when they started running ads inside of Gmail and part of it was like they, there would be something that would read your email so that would give you an ad based off the content inside of your email. And and the world flipped basically like you're reading my emails and it's, you know, just like, um, I'm going to shut it off right now, but Alexa, uh, you know, when we, you know, they're always listening, but like, are they fully listening or are they just listening for the word Alexa? I think, some people jump on the evil thing very quickly uh, does not necessarily, I don't think they're evil, but I also think that they can be very easily. Right. And I think they removed that whole don't be evil thing out of there. Did, yeah. uh, so it's one of those where we feel you're not, you're not evil, but you're also not, uh, you know, it, you're not planting trees for every search that like other people are doing. Right. And, and things like that. So they are definitely a for-profit company. If they um, ever start building a Death Star, then I'm going to be really worried. Yeah, <laughs> Space Wars, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, when they when they bought Boston Dynamics, right, and it's like they have AI and then they have robots. Oh, it would. That's where I kind of got like, oh. But then they sold off Boston Dynamics, but they still. It's a little creepy because their AI stuff and putting it in those robot dogs is like mm-hmm. things in my dreams that I get like, not my dreams, my nightmares. <laughs> it's going to be like the Jetsons or Tur- yeah. one of the two self-driving cars like they're everywhere they're doing a lot of things and and it's to me it's um great because it's pushing humanity forward to an extent it's merging us with machines so we all become cyborgs um but i just don't want to like you know have all my brain power run by google right now so i don't know i'm ready to be a cyborg man my hairline is garbage my eyes are trash (laughs) bring bring on cybernetics i am i'm here for them let's do this (laughs) i am uh also not the singularity is one of those things where it's it's coming and, you know, if it can make me live, I always wanted to be bit by a vampire so that oh I can live goodness. forever and see like where technology goes. So if I can become a cyborg and the same thing happens, I think uh, that's another <laughs> way of doing it. The vampire part, like I'm all old and bald. Like I don't want to be a vampire forever right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need like a half year in the gym first before yeah, a vampire you gets me. You don't want to be the old vampire, vampire at the club. Right? Let me do some crunches and then bite me. Oh my God. Okay. So I want to do a time check. Um, let's move into phase three and we're going to deep dive into affiliate sites. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to caveat this by saying this is one of those places and SEO is such a broad area that you should have a, a base in everything. But I feel like the longer that this, the older that this industry gets, the more opportunities that there are to specialize and the chances of you not uh, knowing everything is, is, is high. Python, that's something I have no freaking clue what it is. And I'm going to say affiliate sites, we're going to talk about it, but I have, I've never done it. I have no clue, not a damn clue uh, what I'm, what I'm doing. So 
I'm going to rely on uh, Ian, you as an expert, and Jeff, uh, you as an expert, to, to guide me through what's it like? Uh, what do you need to think about if you're in 2020 and you're trying to run an affiliate strategy? So I think there's there's probably two two different paths to, to answering this. One is for folks that are maybe either newer in their career or have been in SEO or digital marketing for a bit in like an agency setting where you're in, like you mentioned, a, a very specialized function. And then there's folks that are kind of, I guess, further in their career for, for lack of a better ex- explanation uh, and kind of deeper in their knowledge already. For the, the new folks, it's great and I recommend it for everybody that's working at an SEO agency in that capacity because you have to think about everything, right? Like now the, the horse shit with, oh, the client won't do this and like their pricing is higher than the competitors. So like that's why they're not making money and, you know, on and on and on and on. Every excuse is gone, right? Like it's just you and typically WordPress, right? Like it's you and a content management system and a domain. And if it flops, it's because of you. And if it does well, it's because you did good things, right? So it kind of is a, a bit of a, a put up or shut up for, for folks to put themselves into, which is great because that's when you learn stuff that you didn't know before, yeah. right? You have to get better at pre-selling and copywriting. Otherwise, you're going to get traffic and it's not going to convert. You have to get better at keyword research and planning because you're probably a small new site. So you've really got to pick your battles for what you're going to try and go do because you're not going to go outrank the wire cutter or creditcards.com for, you know, best small business credit cards or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it kind of top to, to bottom through the process forces you to get better at each piece because everything has to work or the end result is not going to happen. Right. And again, you're the only reason, right. You, you are the lever on every step of that process. So I think it's a a really good thing for, for folks to do. And then even just taking the, like, you should want to learn and get better and, and do new things out of it. It makes you, absurdly employable, right? Like if you are a junior SEO in your first gig at an agency and you're 12 to 24 months out of school, call it, building your own site and putting that on your resume, like, hey, I made this website. It ranks for, you know, a few hundred keywords and gets a thousand visits a month and and makes me some money. Your resume is immediately at the top of the pile. Like as somebody who is a hiring manager at a large mid-cap public company, there are like so many resumes come in when we put out a job posting, we'll get like 300 resumes. Right. And I had to give the recruiting team like three things to look for. Like if you see resumes with any of these three things, shortlist that like, those are the resumes that I want to see. And one is they built their own website. Like that just immediately gets you through hundreds of other resumes into the front of the line it's going to get you on the phone. And then if you barf all over yourself on the phone, like that's the end of the road. But you know, if nothing else, like if you're applying for jobs and not getting a call back as an SEO and you haven't built your own website and put it on your resume, that's like the biggest lever I think you can, can pull. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I have totally the same beliefs and things like that. And I, you started off building websites myself, started, 
uh, you know, I was a DJ. I wanted to promote, promote myself as a DJ, built websites doing that. I learned how to use like real audio back then to do streaming. Unfortunately, everybody had like a 14.4 modem at that time. <laughs> and it, <laughs> a little early. I was a little early in, in yeah, that. Not uh, wrong, just early. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, um, so things like that went great. But actually when I, when I met you and we started, you know, I started learning more about affiliates itself. I'm trying to start up those niche affiliate sites. Um, I think I started one called like barbecuepitman.com and I was selling, you know, talking about barbecue grills on there. And it actually, I had a couple different ones. I had one about music cause I, I loved music, realized that music wasn't a great affiliate, you know, area because CDs at the time, like you would get like a nickel or a dime or a dollar <laughs> off of it while an $800 barbecue grill, you know, and if you're using Amazon affiliates, you were getting like 7%. So it's like, Hey, what, what, you know, the same amount, you know, a lot more money. And, um, you know, and, and, and of course you get a little greedy sometimes once you start getting some traffic and you start getting a little more spammy, um, to get that more traffic. And then eventually Google, you know, get, you get, you get on their shit list and then they, they you know, then you get a uh, ban from it. And, and I've learned a lot about that too. So actually for me, kind of making an affiliate site, being a little more spammy on it, learned a lot more about penalties and mm-hmm. I did learn a lot about things there. And, and I say that, you know, when I am interviewing somebody, I, I always say like, hey, you make a website, even people on my team that don't have it, like even if you don't build the website from scratch, it's just like the art of getting traffic to your site and natural is like, is, is important. And doing it to incentivize, like, hey, I, I made money off of this. Now it gives me more the incentive to actually try to make it even better. Um, and, and that's kind of where I feel like affiliates are at a lot. I mean, there's a lot of good affiliates out there. There's a lot of bad ones. And I think the bad affiliates, especially what I did with that barbecue site was, you know, did a lot of spinning content and things like that, that I'm not proud of, but I tried. <laughs> um, I think in the affiliate world, there are the good and bad. And, and that's kind of what I want, you know, where my question is going to go. It's, um, do you think affiliates have a bad name? Like SEO in general, it might have a bad name in marketing industries because SEOs are spammier overall. You know, not me, of course, but other people are. <laughs> and in the SEO world, there's affiliates and, and affiliates kind of get that, that more of the, the, the black hat aspect of things. Cause I think there was a lot of affiliate like black hat networks and yeah. syndicate and things like that. So I mean, where do you feel like with affiliates, like as it, getting better or is it actually still a world of, of spam and, and junk out there? So I think it's interesting. There are there are obviously differing perspectives, right, on affiliates. I think now within the SEO community, I don't think affiliate has a bad reputation because like how the hell else are you making money, right? Like for people that run their own sites, like that's kind of like unless you're just running AdSense or display ads, like – and I would argue from the display ads that I see, they deserve a worse reputation than a lot of affiliate marketing. <laughs> uh, so I, I think within the industry, you know, pretty widely accepted. I think you'll have very differing opinions from when I think back to the GSI commerce days, like folks that are in-house at an e-commerce store will have very differing opinions about affiliates based on how their network has gone. Right. So I think, some will basically equate if you're at an in-house at an e-com place and like digital marketing is not your thing, you're a product merchandiser or something at an e-com store. Your exposure to affiliate marketing is probably heavily dominated by coupon sites. 
right? And in that view, like through that lens, you probably view them as a parasite, right? Because they just rank for my store name plus coupon or coupons. And all these people that I would have gotten anyway are now clicking through here just to get a promo code to put in. So I'm losing money on the AOV because now they're all using the 10% coupon. And now I'm paying a whatever, five, 6% commission to this, you know, parasitic affiliate site at the same right. time, right? So I think there's still pockets like that where because a, a lens that affiliate marketing is viewed through can be very specific to certain stuff, you can come away with a, a bad taste in your mouth. I think the, the flip side to that would be seeing stuff like wire cutter getting bought by the New York Times, right? Like the name in the US for news, generally speaking, buying an Amazon affiliate website for almost a hundred million dollars, I think is a, a good temperature read for like, okay, yeah, affiliate's not a joke and like large companies recognize the, the value and potential that's there. How do you go about and like, I'm not going to ask what your affiliates are or anything like that, but how do you go apart like, and just figure out how to pick an affiliate that you want? So you're going to come, you, you know, want to start a new site. You go through the process of, of doing your research and, and things like that. Yep. Like what are some of those steps in that process to, to pick an industry or find out in, like information about that industry and, and whether it's worth to, it's a lot of work, you know, to, yeah. to build up a site. So you know, you don't want to go into something like, like I said, with music and realize that you have zero, like, even if someone buys something, you get a dime yeah. um, compared to, to something where you get, <laughs> that's, that's exactly to your what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. Where your poker site's at, like when you got a hundred dollars, each one, like that's yep. awesome. I wish I'd get a hundred dollars every time. Someone <laughs> click the link on my website. Right. So, so there, I think two, two ways, um, basically the framework that I use for, for picking affiliate spots three, I lied already. I'm backtracking. So, uh, the first way would be, uh, an industry that I already know is high volume and high dollar, right? So home security being a good example. I got cheated on that one because I got exposure to home security when I was at Red Ventures. They were, and I think still are, a very large ADT dealer. Um, so was able to see firsthand like the amount of volume available in the space and what home security companies are willing to pay out because they're getting, you know, that $30, $40, $50 recurring monthly um, purchase with like a 24 month contract in some cases, right? So like they're dealing with real money. So bringing them a customer, it can be very lucrative for you. So what are those kind of large industries that are going to be around for a long time? Payouts are really high, right? Those are basically where I make my long-term bets. Like the site is not going to do anything in its first six, 12, maybe even 18 months, but it's a iron in the fire that, you know, I just keep going. And the plan is I'm still going to have this website five years from now. Right. So stuff like home security, web hosting, like those big industries with high dollar payouts. Um, the second would be pockets where I see weak competition that generally speaking funnel to Amazon, right? So basically anything you can buy on the internet, you can buy on Amazon. Yeah. The commission structure is there, you know what it is, the tracking is there, like there's not a lot of unknowns. All you really have to be able to do is the keyword and competitive research and you're good to go. Like I farm out all the content production, I farm out a lot of the link production. So at that point, it's just like a capital uh, application game of like, where am I going to put funding and you know, how, how 
big of a bet am I going to make on each one? Um, so you said keyword research is still relevant. I did. I would venture to say for an affiliate, it is arguably the most (laughs) important thing that you can do because you have to find keywords that not only have volume, but have intent and have SERPs that you can crack with whatever site you're, you're actually working with. All right. So suck it, Bing. (laughs) (laughs) They've been doing that for years already. They're, they're fine. And then the, the only other, the, the kind of third that I, I, I backtracked my two-part answer to and turned it into a three-parter uh, is just if I either get approached or see an auction for a domain where the price looks right, and then that kind of sends me down the rabbit hole of looking into that industry, trying to get the scope of how big can this be. Ahrefs is really like my go-to tool. Like I'm, you know, aside from when it logs me out, which it does more than uh, I would like. Uh, but in general, there's probably two or three Ahrefs tabs open in my Chrome at all times um, because it is the fastest way to go from like two or three seed keywords to a list of probably 50 keywords to filtering up who are the domains that are kind of owning this space and then being able to click through right to them and see, okay, they've got this many referring domains. They do this much traffic. Let me see where those links come from. Can I replicate that? Like that becomes like a 20 minute process of being able to size up an industry and have a general gut feeling of I'm way out of my league and there's no way I'm getting in here. So like this is either going to be a multi-year bet or oh, damn, this looks like there's something here. There's people all over page one that are pretty weak that I feel like, you know, in six or eight months, I can replicate the amount and quality of content they have and the amount and quality of links that they have. Yeah. So when you get your, you know, your niche and you, you know, build a site, I am guessing most of the time it's in WordPress. Yep. Um, there, I mean, because it's just so simple. Um, there is a lot of, you know, we need lots of content. Um, to, to be able to build that, right? So I'm guessing the next kind of approach is, is getting the site structure and start building out content. Is, is that something you're writing yourself or is that something you're kind of going, not Fiverr, but you know, some yep. other place to um, get content written and then you just the editorial notes of that? Yep. So thankfully now I do less and less and less myself. One of the things I had focused on in 2019 Uh, was bringing more part-time folks on to help me with portions of it, right? So now, thankfully, I now have a reliable part-time person who knows Ahrefs, knows how to do keyword research, and they can basically build content maps for me. I give them an industry and two or three competitors to look at, and they can just go and then come back with a Google Sheet template that I made filled out with what keywords, and then I know what pages do I need to make, what are the keywords that need to funnel into them, Uh, I basically then take those Google Sheets and pass them over to Word Agents, uh, wordagents Mm wordagents.com, and they write now all of my new affiliate content. Um, And so it it all goes to them. Uh, The last missing piece I need to fill is then the, hey, we got a Google Drive folder full of content from Word Agents. I need all of this in WordPress now, and I need the internal links done and blah, blah, blah. That's the, the piece that I'm still kind of rotating through some folks trying to find somebody that I really like that I'll, I'll yeah. continue to work with. But you can kind of de-skill each individual portion of the process and f- have different folks fulfill each part, right? Because I am not going to sit here and peck out 800 words about, you know, this 
camping tent that and why it's great, right? Like there's people who write for a living. That's what they want to do. They do that from wherever the hell they want. That's great. Word agents just takes care of the content for me. Yeah. You just need Hamlet to write you a script and Python. <laughs> so I can just hit, hit button. Yep. Exactly. Between, between him and J.R. Oaks to build a search engine or machine learn how to auto-produce the content, I bet they could <laughs> make that happen for So, Ian, um, definitely want to thank you for, for your time. Um, we always wrap up, or at least we try to. Sometimes we forget, and you've kind of alluded to, to it, uh, to, to building websites being a good, good thing. So I'm going to ask you to maybe provide a different piece of advice, but we always end by saying, um, if you were a, a new SEO, you're, you're fresh out of college or you're thinking about getting into the industry literally today, this moment, what would be the advice that you would give to that person? The, the biggie is building your own site, but you said that's not, that's not an answer I can do, so I'll take that off the table. I would, uh, if I was still in college, I would look to get an internship at an agency uh, and if I had just graduated, I would do everything that I could to make myself marketable on paper uh, to get an interview at an agency and get a junior level role. Uh, I hate on the agency model a lot, and there's a bunch there that I don't like, but it is the fastest way to get in somewhere, see a bunch of stuff happen, and learn kind of as you as you do. Uh, and I think starting out your career as a junior person in-house somewhere, I think kind of insulates you a little too much into the specific tech stack and the specific goals and like how monetization happens. You get a little bit pigeonholed into one way of, of doing things. Whereas generally at an agency, you're going to get exposed to multiple different CMSs and platforms. You're going to get exposed to different kinds of people. And if you're going to be successful, have to figure out how to talk to clients and other stakeholders to actually get work done. There are a lot of skills that you can hone working in an agency. And I think it's a good spot for somebody to spend their first call it two to three years um, in the, the digital marketing world doing that work. So speaking of agencies, uh, Jeff and I work for one search discovery. So if you are uh, one of those people looking and coming out of college, we do college hires every single year. Um, and, and Ian's right. It is really great experience. Um, you get to work uh, across multiple verticals with a lot of different people that know a lot of different things, especially at search discovery. So I don't want this podcast to be just like a, a, a major plug, but come work with us. We'd love to work with you. <laughs> and you can anyway, listen to us rant. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Listen to yell about things in person. Um, so Ian, where can people find you? Uh, so on Twitter, just at Ian Howells, real original and creative with the, <laughs> the, the Twitter handle there. Uh, otherwise, I don't like I'm the worst solo SEO in the world. Like I don't have a website that like advertises my service. I think inhmedia.com is literally a logo. Luckypixel.com is the DBA that I do my consulting on. It's again, a logo on, on a homepage and that's it. There's not even a contact form. Um, so really Twitter and inside traffic think tank are like the two places that I hang out and network with, with people in the industry. So trafficthinktank.com and Twitter at Ian Howells would be the, the best bet. Awesome. 
And I'll say it again, if you want to go to one of the best conferences about building traffic uh, that, that is going on right now, go to trafficthinktank.com forward slash live. Uh, the event again is in Miami. So nice, warm, sunny place that most people want to go. And it is on May 16th. Um, Ian, I don't know how many, like if you guys restrict the number of tickets, but how many, how many tickets are left? left at this moment we are i think right now we're 64 65 percent sold so there's like 120 spots left something like that cool all right so you hear that there are spots left this episode is going to to release on on the following monday we record ahead so uh i believe that they might there might still be some spots left by that time that's only a couple of days from now but uh yeah, go and uh, go and buy a ticket if you want to meet some really, uh, really great people and attend a really, uh, really awesome event. But otherwise, Ian, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Really appreciate the, uh, the candor, uh, candor, candor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awkward. That's that's <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Candor. Really appreciate it. And, um, it was a great discussion. No, awesome. I, I had fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.